Welcome to Pros and Cons, a podcast by writers for writers, brought to you by Precipice Fiction. Precipice Fiction would like to acknowledge the people of the Eora and Dorag Nations as the original custodians and storytellers of the land this podcast was created on. I have become death, destroyer world. How did they use that in the movie? What? 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 I that, just, I just kept thinking, the first time they introduce it. Yeah, like because he's reading from the the Bhagavad Gita or or something. And it I was just, a pretty uh, yeah. heavy handed exposition, was, just for people yeah. who don't know the quote. <laughs> I just kept thinking True. of that scene in The Simpsons where we also was like, "Do it, Bart. Say the line." <laughs> and like. And like he'd it'd be like Oppenheimer Photoshop doing. He's like, I am become death, destroy world. You're right. That was pretty heavy. And I kind of want to nod to all the memes, the very excellent memes that are that Oppenheimer must feel like an Avengers like movie for all the scientists of that era. And the way that they introduced Einstein was like this slow reveal, like he was fucking Dick Fury or something. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. I loved it. It was great. And the way they uh, they hinted at uh, Kennedy, like it's for getting a movie, like a (laughs) spin-off. Yeah, there's this guy, you know. uh, Kennedy will be back. There's a young ranger. He goes by the name (laughs) of John F. Kennedy. You Mm -hmm. should go meet him. That guy's yeah. got a story too. That guy's yeah. got it. That's <laughs> like you would you know believe. him. You know him, <laughs> audience, don't you? Also, I'm sorry for the Lord of the Rings fans out there. I know that's a hot topic line. I don't agree with it either. I didn't like the Hobbit movies. Just going on record saying <laughs> that's important. <laughs> that's important. Welcome to Pros and Cons. It's a podcast by emerging writers for emerging writers because sometimes we feel like pros. <laughs> sorry. and what's the other thing we feel phoenix sometimes we just feel like absolute cons sometimes those moments are too close to the present anyway we're here um i've got alex ali matan and myself just firing through rapid and we're here to give you barbenheimer the combination you've all been waiting for you've seen barbie You've seen Oppenheimer and you probably thought these are distinctly separate pieces of work. There's no way they can be brought together in some in any sort of way. But here we are, Barbenheimer. This Frankenstein is coming at you hot. Um, I'm not going to lie. A through line is very hard to find between these two movies. And that's lovingly the point. I think that's, that's why the, the point. internet embraced it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, contrast is beautiful. Yeah. You know, 10 years from now, marketing teams are going to study this and they're going to be just befuddled mm-hmm. as to how mm-hmm. the hell this worked. That was one thing that was one thing I appreciated about the Barbie people. I was like, they knew what they were doing for marketing. Like they nailed it very hard. Oh, yeah. I'm wondering yeah. if their marketing budget was bigger than the film budget, honestly, mm-hmm. <laughs> or if they were competitive. <laughs> so I'm going to ask just quickly, did anyone else co- uh, cosplay to their... Or how did you watch it? Was a double? Was it a double feature? Because Nathan and I, we double featured it the same day. We oh, cosplayed. Wow. I wow. dressed up as Killian Murphy. Nathan went uh-huh. as Barbie. It was great. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that is cool. I I wore. I didn't have pink, but I did wear an all red sort of situation. Very bright. Nice. Nice. Yes. Cool. Mm-hmm. I did not wear pink on the outside. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. There you go. Um, Liz dressed up in a little 
my, my girlfriend dressed up in a little cream outfit, uh, the little like, I don't know, peachy. It was kind of like, kind of doing the spectrum between like pink and orange kind of vibes. So it was very Barbie. Uh, mm-hmm. I I didn't. I just wore, I just wore jeans and a and this this shirt. <laughs> and, and a little, this like, very yeah, own shirt. So, yeah. Wait, yeah. Alex, but, did you see the movie right now? I saw did that movie, movie literally about an hour and a half ago. It's for Barbie. Wow, that's, that's, that's commitment. It's fresh. I'm fresh. That's, that's why you wore jeans and that shirt because. <laughs> You I was came I was thinking, it. man. Imagine if you said no. I watched it yesterday. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, that mm. would be uncomfortable for everyone. Um, uh, yeah, this is as close as I, I have in my wardrobe to pink. It's kind of closer to a salmon, <laughs> but you know, uh, hard times call for hard men. So you'll be you're forgiven. We'll forgive you for the salmon. Salmon fits. Yeah, I, I think so. it's it's on the it's on the spectrum of pink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not unlike myself. <laughs> Anyway, before we go into the deep, the deep stuff, the full precipice analysis here, uh, we will go around with the usual question first and just see what everyone's up to. Uh, Matan, we'll start with you. What are you? What have you been would up it, to? Would it be cheating to say I watched Barbie and Oppenheimer? Yeah. Uh, no. Yes, no. that is cheating. No, that, 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 was, that, that goes the without saying. I, yeah. I watched Barbie. I watched Oppenheimer. I watched it yesterday. Uh, what else have I been watching? I've been watch. I've been. I'm still reading Hillary's Man- Hillary Mantel's delightful uh, Mirror and Delight. It is. I love delightful. it. I love it. it, it I mean, it's not delightful. My stomach twists as I read the, <laughs> you know, the shenanigans of King Her- Henry VIII. But uh, that out of the way, do you know how sometimes you just stumble across a good Netflix film that you just haven't heard about? Mm. Just, just a promo actually convinces you that you're going to watch it. So I have a soft spot for uh, Denzel Washington, like mm-hmm. like a serious soft spot. Like I'm very soft for Denzel. But uh, so we watched the movie Flight. I don't know if anyone's watched it. Mm-hmm. It's the story of this, uh, of this pilot uh, on a civil air- airline. And shit hits the fan, the plane starts falling apart midair, and then through his heroics, like absolute freaking, you know, he, he somersaults through the air, he saves the plane, only six people out of the 102 die, great success, right? Only there's a protocol not every time bad. something like this happens. Not perfect, <laughs> but not bad. There's a protocol <laughs> that basically they take blood tests out of everyone involved. And the guy was coked out of his mind. He had like three <sighs> bottles of mini vodkas, you know, the ones they have on plane. Oh, wow. Apparently, he's a raging alcoholic, uh, like has been drunk every day that he can remember. His wife divorced him. His son doesn't talk to him. And then they're like, yeah, you saved everyone, but you did pilot a plane drunk and high. And and it's really a movie about alcoholism. And I didn't expect it. And God, every time he reached for a drink, I felt like someone was stomping on my toes. It, it was presented so well. Like, please don't drink it. Please, I was, I was just whining on the couch, like mm. begging the, the poor man to stop drinking himself into oblivion, which I think shows that first the acting was terrific. Second, they really make you care that the guy can't stop because he keeps messing up his life again and again and again. I'm not gonna spoil the ending, but. Really nice surprise find on Netflix. Mm. Very cool. Flight, what's it called? Flight, yeah. With Denzel Washington. So right. if you have a yeah. Uh Ellie, how about yourself? Um, 
as well as the two movies we went and saw for homework, um, I've actually had two weeks off work for once. Mm. Um, yeah, went, went and got married. Um, but aside from that, the exciting bit was, yes, we had time to go and see like four movies uh, just like during the day in a nice. quiet little cinema up on the Sunshine Coast. Um, so uh, we also saw uh, the new uh, Indiana Jones and the new Mission Impossible. Pretty much back to back as well. Legacy movies. Um, Yeah. Big movie weekend. Um and and no, it was it was really if I had to compare them, since the spirit is kind of comparing and contrasting (laughs) movies, I I probably enjoyed Mission Impossible more than the Indiana Jones. And Mm. it it was funny watching them so close together because I'm like structurally, that was kind of the same movie. Like they're aiming for the same tones and emotion and yeah. And again, just kind of structure of how they set up the whole thing, different set pieces, obviously different contexts, but I'm like, this was, I just watched the same movie again. Um, And I would say, yeah, Mission Impossible is probably the tighter script, uh, slightly tighter. Well done. I, I couldn't dissect Maybe if the Indiana Jones suffered from too many cooks in the kitchen or maybe wasn't in the oven long enough, where the Mission Impossible script just, even though its theme was very simple, it it was about friendship, uh, (laughs) it it just did it a bit, it wanted to land that in a slightly tighter way. Um, So I'm like, look, no, I'm going to give that props. Well well done, Mission Impossible. Well done. Mission Impossible. Possible. Accomplished. <laughs> uh, Shame on you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Alex, how about yourself? Yeah. Um, so I just uh, bought a game. I've been listening to a lot of um, uh, podcasts just about gaming and gaming theory and stuff and criticism. And I heard about this game. It's very popular a couple of years ago called Hades. And I uh, bought that. Funnily enough, Got it from New Zealand because it was cheaper to ship it from New Zealand as a physical copy than it would have been to buy it online. So that's, that's, you know, that's really broken for economics. <laughs> How? Uh, yeah. But, but I've been, I've been playing through that. Um, really, really interesting way of telling a story. Like basically the, um, the, the, it's, it's a roguelike, which means you go through and you do a run, then you die and you go through and do it again. And each time you get a bit further and you get more skills and all that sort of stuff. So dying is really cooked into the thing. Um, I'm writing a similar sort of themed story right now. So that's, that's fun. It's, it's set in Hades and, in, in, um, you know, it's like Greek God set pieces stuff. And the way the story is told is really interesting because each, each time you die, each of the characters, and there are a lot of like Greek gods, gods and heroes and things, uh, they have something new to say. So you discover more and more about this world and the story uh-huh. and what's going on uh, as it sort of goes. So yeah, that's, that's a really fun, addictive um, experience with like a, a pretty good story as well so far. So yeah, I've been doing that. That sounds very cool. What what style yes. of gameplay is it? Like what uh It is it's sort of like really fast paced Diablo 2. Like it's it's an isometric, so you look down and you you little mm-hmm. guys on a screen, he dashes around and he like, like stabs people and you got a bunch of abilities and stuff. But um yeah, it's so uh, it's yeah, uh, yeah. The roguelike is I think the technical term for it, but yeah. That's very cool. I feel like that's the type of that's game fun. I could play for a very long time at like a mm. sleepover or something. But... Very addictive. <laughs> Very, very yeah. Right on. I I myself have um I just finished listening to Jade City by Fonda Lee. Yay! Nice. That was that One was an down, excellent ride. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Some other homework. 
Um, no spoilers, because we're going to yeah. talk about that one in a, an episode yeah. coming up. Yeah. Especially with audiobooks, I feel like the characters, especially with, with the actors and stuff and actresses, they really just bring those people to life so much to the point where it's almost like I, I like miss the characters. I'm like, oh, mm. like I felt so connected to them. And sometimes it's this weird moment where you sit down to like, I would sit down to watch something with my partner and part of me would feel like, yeah, and now we're going to keep watching Jade City because that's what, oh no, that's what, that's not what we're watching. That's what I'm listening to while I'm getting ready for the day. Blah, blah, blah. I've now just recently picked Invisible Man back up, which is just such a, because I listened to half of that and then now I'm listening to the other half of it. And that's just such a, that's such an intense book, uh, but it's so incredibly well-written and the performance, like I found myself recently thinking like, how much of this is the book and how much of this is the performance? Obviously, obviously it's both, but the performance is so incredible. The guy that reads this, I've, I found myself wondering like how much of the, because he adds these little laughs and he adds these little like pauses and these little like kind of nothing words here and there. And I'm wondering like, I wonder how much of these are actually physically written into the book and how much of this is just the actor add, adding to the characters. It's incredible. Is that the H.G. Uh, Wells? Yeah. No, it's by Ralph Ellison, Invisible Man, oh. read by Joe Morton. And yeah, Joe Joe Morton kills it. Incredible job. <laughs> very, very amazing read. Young African-American man being brought up in the South in like early 1900s and just the journey of pulling the veil of the subtle non-spoken about racism as but it's like conditioned as normal life and it's him kind of coming out of this veil and it's just so palpably mm. told it's crazy you know you know could have who could have been the lead in that movie <laughs> just saying best boy <laughs> best boy denzel washington denzel baby our boy dw anyway speaking of dw um <laughs> no honestly that, that just made me think of Arthur and her, his sister, yeah. D.W. <laughs> All right. With that, it's time. It's time to bridge the subject. What should we start? <laughs> does, it, does anybody well, have a preference? I want to talk about that, actually. Um, the kind of the double feature idea. I think all mm -hmm. of the rest of you saw it on different days, though. But I'd be interested yeah. to see which one you saw first and why and which one you saw second. Um, and if you ended up following through with the order... Um, to, to get the ball rolling, um, so Nathan and I were going to double, we, we knew we wanted to double feature it, see it on the same day. Wow. And initially we're like, well, maybe mm -hmm. we should do Oppenheimer first and then do Barbie in the evening. Because that seemed mm. like, you know, you wake up, you know, go have a, a, whiskey, a, a cigarette for breakfast, <laughs> then go and watch Oppenheimer <laughs> and then maybe yeah. go and have like a cocktail for lunch then go watch Barbie, <laughs> then go dancing. Mm -hmm. And we're like, that seems like the right mood for a day. But then when we were looking at session times, it was just going to work out better to see Oppa, uh, to see Barbie first than straight into Oppenheimer. So we're like, oh, oh, that's maybe not the right energy, but look, let's commit. Um, and then after seeing them in that order, I completely ate my words and I'm like, no, I actually think that was the correct order to see it. Barbie first, then Oppenheimer. Mm. So let me throw I, that to you guys. What order did you see him in? I saw Barbie and a week later, me and my wife went to see Oppenheimer. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, I can't imagine watching Oppenheimer and on the same day 
feeling anything while sitting through Barbie. Like I would just <laughs> if you do like, the first, empty, yeah. empty gaze looking at the, the Ken jokes and be like, none of this matters. Mm-hmm. We're, we're on the <laughs> yeah. clock. And uh, I'm so happy I got to watch Barbie without being uh, tainted by the notion of impending yeah. apocalyptic uh, doom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I do think I have this theory since I, I believe there's a lot of couples that want to watch this, like Barbie mm. for the girl, but I actually like Barbie more, but we'll get to that later. And since I think the balance of power would be that the girlfriend would decide what we watch first, at least that was the case here. So I think a lot of them went to see Barbie first, but that could just be me. Uh, I saw Oppenheimer with my friend, actually. Um, uh, not not my girlfriend, uh, a different friend. Um, his, his name's Jackson. He's a lovely guy. <laughs> together. Sorry, that's... Great guy, great guy. <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange place to pause. Anyway, um, so we went and saw that, and um, that was that was good. That was a fun time. Uh, actually, it's not the right time, but, but it was definitely a time. It's definitely a time. And then I saw Barbie later, and like a week later, probably the inverse of what you did, Natan. And I think that was the right move. I was I was happy to see Oppenheimer process that, and then see Barbie. And clearly have not processed that yet because it was <laughs> minutes ago, technically. <laughs> still raw. <laughs> yeah, it's still some pretty but it's good raw. It's the best raw. Um, yeah, it is. It is. So, still no, like, yeah, yeah, I was I was happy with with uh, that programming, I think. Yeah. Mm, I did the same as you, Matan. Um, me and my partner saw Barbie last week, and then I saw Oppenheimer by myself this week. And uh yeah. literally hours ago as well. Um and I think I'm also <laughs> I'm also happy with that order. Um, then again, you know what? Maybe I'm not. Barbie feels like it would have been a nice palate cleanser um, to mm. then go back out into the world. Then again, Oppenheimer was really like we'll get into this more later, but like cinematically more satisfying. So mm. in that sense, for me anyway, um, in that sense, it was kind of like I don't know. I felt like I ate something very wholesome and dense um yeah i'll, I'll rip the controversial band-aid off then to yeah, get the ball rolling and everyone can argue it. so watching them back to back and then i've come away and i'm i'm like barbie was great grinning like an idiot the whole time had so much fun then we saw mm-hmm. oppenheimer and my reaction was well that's a movie though it it i it they just seemed there was so much more to it and I was trying to articulate what I mean when I say that. And I think it was just the gaps where the audience is intellectually invited in to engage with the medium. Like that's that's the cinema experience. That's why I love movies. And that's what Oppenheimer was doing. Obviously, Barbie's a different uh, demographic. <laughs> mm. um, so, But it is just the style of media we get these days where you're a little bit more spoon-fed everything. So it was just, that was just so clear to me one after the other where I'm like Barbie was fun but Oppenheimer just had so much more depth. My soul was just fed going through that experience. So that that's my controversial take of if someone asked me which is your favorite one, uh, I'm gonna say Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I I'm gonna I'm gonna just completely disagree with that. Like, like just polar opposites. And I, I think like I 
I think Bobby, as as sort of Margot Robbie said in an interview, I think Bobby was designed to be consumed on multiple levels. And I could see if you would like it is there is a portion of it that's a kid's movie for sure. I'd say like the bottom, maybe 30 percent, like most of that's going over the top. But um, look, we'll break down why I think that's that's there. Obviously, there's a lot of different layers that that can be viewed on um, or, or maybe maybe not. Ali, maybe maybe you, you thought it was more homogenous. Um, Oppenheimer was long. It was a it was a long movie. It was a big long movie. There is a lot in it to digest. Uh, time wise, there is a lot of movie. Did there need to be that much movie? Up, up for discussion. Um, I thought they were both very good. I, I do want to say I, I didn't think they were both very good movies. Um, but yeah, for, for me, Barbie was far and away the the, the winner by about yeah. By, Are by we order, voting? I wasn't ready for a vote. Get the opinions out there. Yeah, I, I was gonna. <laughs> I was gonna be a fence sitter on this one. Um, look, I I love Barbie. Um, I I enjoyed Barbie. I really enjoyed watching it. I could watch it again tomorrow, and be like, yeah, sure, I'll watch Barbie again with you. Why not? Uh, I just watched Oppenheimer like a few hours ago, went to sleep, woke up, made a coffee, and here I am with you guys. Um, on a cinematic level, I loved it. It was incredible. I loved it. The sound editing was so freaking good. How they create this momentum. Uh, the editing in general, like how many times you watch a movie, you're like, man, the editor freaking killed it. Yeah. <laughs> but you do feel that yeah. when the way they edit, like these shortcuts of, you know, like building tension, and it's just guys in suits in an office, but they build it up. You feel the the consequences coming. Um, with that being said, I absolutely 110% agree with Alex that at three hours, it was a movie for the cinephiles. It was a movie for the people that are all about movies and would not mind one bit that it's three hours. Uh, I almost think that like 20 minutes could have gone without any big blow to momentum pacing mm. but if you had to ask me which 20 minutes i would just start uh, uh well uh the, the, i would just start <laughs> stuttering and have no good answer for you so that's me i'm actually i'm sitting on the fence as well but it's a it's a it's a decisive fence because my my the decision i actually came to was that i i think both movies are great I also think both movies are kind of not so great. Like there were things that fundamentally I did not like about both. Um, mm. And it's actually like a density thing. There were, I actually didn't think Barbie filled the time too well. And it felt like there wasn't too much to bite onto plot wise. And I actually didn't think it was much of a story to be told more of like a device to tell which I mean, this is kind of the definition of a story, but I felt it more with Barbie. That was more just like a device to deliver a message, a message which I thought was great and satisfying. And I felt very satisfied in the movie. I had a great time, but I, I didn't leave feeling like I watched a movie. I felt more like that was a cool experiment they did. And I liked I liked their their metaphor that they created. Um, but I found myself a little bit bored in the middle. Uh, there was a part where I was just kind of like, uh, we're just kind of dragging through a little bit. Um, Oppenheimer was the exact opposite. Three hours, incredibly dense. I was so focused and still felt like I was on the outside of the conversation at times. There were so many characters introduced so fast. There was a lot going on. And I had a hard time. I had a hard time holding on to it. 
So it was like a density thing for me. Barbie felt not so dense. Oppenheimer felt almost too dense. One thing I will applaud Oppenheimer for, though, is that three hours and I didn't feel the three hours go by, even though it was like three hours of like a solid wall of dialogue. I did not really feel the three hours. So they did something that's a tick for me. Yeah, no, like I can agree that I, I, I like Matan's question of did it earn its three hours? And you're like, maybe you could have cut it. But then you're like, oh, but what do you cut? But mm. in saying that those three hours went quick for me than the Indiana Jones movie did (laughs) and with that still being quite fresh in my brain I was literally getting restless in the cinema at some parts Mm. in Indiana Jones and that's not something I do often I'm just like what I'm like oh I had an instinct to reach for my phone just then that's a weird thing to do and I'm in the movie and I'm like come on movie be more movie Get, get me on board Indiana Jones um, while Oppenheimer can still be three hours and that it went so fast for me. I, mm. I love that feeling. It, it certainly wasn't devoid of content. Like all everything that was in there was, um, I mean, look, I think the female characters didn't really get oh, much God, of no. showing or were even <laughs> really necessary. So there's half an hour that might have. Anyway. Are we talking about um, Barbie or Oppenheimer? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, Barbie, <laughs> of course. No, I just wanted to be sure because Ken um, was great. He was. He was very good. But um, (laughs) look, what was in there was definitely, uh, you know, like all the stuff literally about the bomb, maybe around the end where they started the the wrap up and um, Robert Downey Jr.'s character started ranting. I was a bit like, okay, well, you know, but that might have just been my critique. No, I I agree. I kind of walked out of both being like, why have we forgotten how to write third acts? Mm. Uh, Because both... Mm. Act three in Barbie and Oppenheimer for me were not that satisfying. I feel like Barbie's act one was perfection. Don't touch Mm. it. Perfect, perfect act one. (laughs) Act two, it was fun, fun, but like a little bit messy in places. And then I'm like, act three was like embarrassing. Mm. Um, (laughs) If I was to like read that script. Anyway, that was a hard take. Um, And then... Oppenheimer, I would be like, oh, yeah, act one, we're building, we're going somewhere. And then I would argue maybe act two was really strong in Oppenheimer. And then, again, act three was a bit of a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, it does, good analysis. Better. Yeah, I agree with that one. Oppenheimer, the, the middle part was so meaty and good. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, everything related to the bomb is, yeah. is sexy and nice and you want to see it. Yeah, um, that was the set piece for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I, I am just curious what... If you had to pull one specific moment that was your favorite moment from each one, what would Matan will start with you? What would what would you pull? Uh, favorite moment from each movie. Um, yes. For Barbie, I'll have to say it's the beginning where where she steps out of the shower without the water, and she has the coffee that's not a coffee, and she says hi to everyone, and everyone say hi to her. Like it was so absurd in the best way, and I was just laughing like an idiot because of how hard the movie leans into it like how when ken says his job his job is just beach i lost it (laughs) i was like how can you get away with such a simple and silly joke and still get so many laughs out of people because we just we're all so cynical we don't expect something so wholesome to be thrown our way so so simply um mm. so yeah i love the way barbie started it really set up the right tone and atmosphere for the whole movie and i think it really earned my trust as a viewer 
Like, yeah, they know what they're doing. They're on top of this. They decided. They know their identity. They're going to lean into it. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm up for it. I'm, I'm here for the ride. Um, for Oppenheimer, my favorite moment, uh, wow, has to be the moment that Oppenheimer accepts the job to become the director of Project Manhattan when he has like uh. this back and forth with uh, Matt Damon's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, without spoiling too much, uh, it's really good dynamics. Like Matt Damon comes to him and he basically says to him, like, look, everybody's saying this stuff about you, like why I shouldn't hire you. And Oppenheimer justifiably asks, so, so why are you here? And then we kind of get this dynamics. Like Matt Damon is like, maybe because of that, I'm here because you are standing out of the crowd. Mm-hmm. And I really like that scene. Mm-hmm. They had a great chemistry. They had a really good chemistry on the screen. Mm. That was yeah. I since I have the floor, I'd say my favorite part of the uh, Barbie movie was the the whole Ken montage where they were doing like the Normandy thing, and that was just so silly. I was literally <laughs> laughing out loud the whole time. It was just just ridiculous. I just I just thought that was so hilarious. Um, that bit was great. I didn't think it had uh, a terrible that yeah ironically that bit didn't have a terrible amount of plot significance but it sort of did it was anyway so that was just the set piece that I really liked I think for Oppenheimer my favorite bit was the um in the auditorium where with the foot stomping where that finally happens and he's he's doing the speech and the whole time you think he's about to crack up and they've they've uh foreshadowed this scene and the and the you know, like the the stomping, mm. like for literally the whole movie they've done in multiple bits, and then it comes in, and you're just like, is he is he going to lose it? He's just going to break down, and he doesn't. He just delivers a speech, and he's like, yeah, we did it, congratulations. And I just thought that was so such an uncomfortable and powerful oh, way God. to to present that moment. Mm. Um, so I I really thought that was good. I mean, the bomb the bomb itself was really cool as well, especially how they like made you wait for the thing. I was sitting there with my hands over my ears because I hate loud noises. Um, but yeah, no, that, that bit I think was the, was the emotional core of the movie to me, I think. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll jump on because I was going to name the speech scene as well. Um, cause I, it was just so brilliantly tense, the lead up that you're describing. And then some of the lines he delivers, which would have been what he actually said, which come across as like. I don't know, like really just callous by today's standards. You're like, oh, he actually said that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that juxtaposition, you use the word uncomfortable and it was just perfectly uncomfortable. And then the the special effects of their faces melting yeah. and then stepping mm-hmm. on the ashed corpse, uh. um, which is as close as the movie can get as an imagined POV because I, I love the POV choice that we're, we're with him almost the entire movie, except when we're with Robert Downey Jr. Um, so obviously we don't get visual context. We don't get lived experience of Japan or anything there because this is a character that obviously never went to Japan. So he, he's got to reconcile with what's happened out there with something he'll never see, something he can only imagine through facts and figures and newspapers. And I... I just actually kind of loved that. That hit so hard for me. Um, and the other scene I think I really loved right at the start um, was the apple and the syringe and the cyanide. Uh, oh, my gosh. The, the choice that I he does shocked. it. And then the scene where he's got to talk to this guy he respects and find a moment to get the apple out of his hand. <laughs> 
performance. I just thought brilliantly directed, brilliant tension. And it kind of, for me, just then sets the tone for the rest of the three hours because you're like, this guy is, you know, he's smart, but he's, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just sets up the character tone so well. Um, and, And then thinking of Barbie, it's actually harder for me to pick exact moments I like for Barbie. And I think that's why I'm like Oppenheimer for me was a series of very clear scenes I can I imagine and I'm there suddenly, while Barbie's more of just a wash of laughing the whole time, a wash of funny little quick moments that it's hard for me to pick an exact scene or moment because it was just a montage of fun. Um, Anytime Ryan Gosling on screen, I adored that man was perfect. His meta performance with all the marketing around the movie was almost as entertaining as the movie to me. So just love, love Ryan Gosling. But then I'm also sitting here asking myself, what does it mean for feminism that Ryan Gosling was my favourite part of the Barbie movie? (laughs) Um, And I feel like that's an interesting (laughs) question. Um, (laughs) But so, so yeah, I'm just going to say Ryan Gosling. (laughs) As a moment, yeah. He was kind of the bad guy, though, in fairness. Like, he so. was the only character that had any genuine change, conflict, and therefore was of interest to me. I don't think any... Here we go, hot take. I just don't think there was enough depth to anything else that was happening that could get its hooks in me while I'm like, Ken is fascinating. He's on an interesting, complex journey. <sighs> I want more of that. Hmm. I mean, I do think he has more of a journey. Yeah. But I, I felt satisfied with Barbie. I mean, going through the existential stuff, it was less overt. It was less on the outside because she wasn't trying to make a Mojo Dojo house and <laughs> reinstall the patriarchy in a in magical uh, Barbie land. Horses. <laughs> well, I, loved, I loved how horses were plugged into that. <laughs> I movie. love the horses. Was, oh, my God. The horse, so it made me want to have a horse portrait in my room. <laughs> Once I found um, out it wasn't about horses, yeah. I honestly wasn't interested anymore. Yeah, it's like I'm also interested about horses. <laughs> it's probably one of With my that means, You know, we shouldn't just check Barbie sales. We should check horse sales. Horses. Horse sales. Whatever. Yeah. Horse. Horse sales. Google 50%. search engines. Uh, but back to my point. Uh, I, I like that Barbie's journey was different. You know, not all journeys are a hero's journey where you go and there's something to see in, a, in an action. Barbie's journey was on the inside because on the outside, she was already perfect. Now it was time for her to go through the feelings of what it means to accept not being perfect. And it wasn't just that. It was also her job to help her help her world see the things that she recognizes very early because the movie starts when Barbie recognizes or is forced things. Uh, the realization is forced upon her by the mom playing with her. That like mm. we're all gonna die, and you know mm. maybe my feet are not supposed to be, uh, you know, permanently heel shaped. I-, I I liked it. I I did think she did have a process. Yeah. No. No. I I agree with everything you're saying. Um. I I I come from a. It's interesting thinking about it intellectually though. As writers, would we argue though that shouldn't the protagonist have the most dynamic journey? And that mm. is how we. It's that thing where a, a, a secondary character suddenly becomes 
more interesting mm, to us when yeah. we're writing and yeah. suddenly want to chase them. And that's like a writing problem for us where we're like, oh no, suddenly my protagonist is boring. Like we would see that as a problem we would try to fix. Well, I mean, that that comes a lot from, I talk, I, I think about this all the time. I, I think that comes a lot from the fact that a protagonist does essentially have to be a, um, a cipher for the audience. So it has to kind of encapsulate yeah. this huge swath of things and therefore has yeah. to be kind of generic and bland true, and she's literally true. called stereotypical barbie like that yeah <laughs> she, like they, they they've literally been like look, look we've just whitewashed this the intersectionality is outside of her, her actual character yeah. so just deal with that so but but i agree ken is ken is a more interesting and funny uh character with a more complex journey um but i i feel like it was leaning less on on um character developments per se and more on the meta subtext and that's kind of a wanky thing to say but also in some ways it's kind of a wanky movie and i kind of love that about it you know it, it was very much just like you said Mantan, it was it was pitching it well maybe it was phoenix i can't remember i'm sorry uh, it was pitching a message it was using a a a toy as a vehicle to tell a message that like, hey, you know, like there are all these expectations and, and you need to recognize what the world is putting on you. This is this is my crude hacking out its feminist message um, to, to be able to then go and um, overcome it to some degree. Um, and I think it did lean very, very hard on that, that meta philosophy. Um, and yes, I think maybe some characters were subjugated to that a little bit. But I'm a writer yeah. personally. I just want to address the pink elephant in the room. I think <laughs> I think a lot of guys sitting through the movies uh, to the movie may have felt uncomfortable, but I think it was important uh, for them to experience that. I think Barbie yeah, was very gentle. Sure. I think Barbie mm. was very delicate with us. He told us the truth with silk gloves while patting us and telling us how amazing we are on the inside while we are doing these rather uncomfortable things to the other sex. And I think that Barbie could have been a movie that just focuses on, oh, girls need to feel this, girls need to feel that. But instead, and I'm saying this as a man, it chose not just to show how girls should view themselves or shouldn't, it also showed what what men, what men's part in this is. And that's the hard conversation to have that we... Like Ken walks into our world and he's amazed at how how good he has it, just because he's a guy. He's done nothing. He's he literally just came into existence in this world. It's like, oh my god, this is amazing. He's done nothing. He expects to be given the job of a doctor just because he's got the you know he's got something. And and you know what? A part of him was expecting them to give him the job. That's how messed up it is. I'm like, yeah, they're gonna let him be a surgeon. And I thought that was important. I thought, uh, yeah, that's that's. This is this is where um, I I don't feel this is exactly what the movie was going for, but a, de- a kind of a defense for Ken being vaguely more interesting is Ken and Barbie are kind of two sides of the same character, and the actual antagonist is actually just patriarchy itself. Like the whole point was being like patriarchy equally affects both the whole range of sexes. It's not, obviously it's led Mm. by actual people that have uh, penises and stuff, but like the, the whole thing was that it's destructive to the society as a whole. And it manifests in the, like the more masculine presenting side more or like in a more prominent way, because that's, what's been driving it. But like, uh, but we both, 
both everyone suffers and that's the whole thing it was trying to get across and so mm. it's really like it's showing both sides the barbie and the ken uh journey of this and um and obviously that's a very pol like exaggerated polarized view of it because we are going ken and barbie which is just two sides of the spectrum but like um again it's like the tool to tell the story and you need contrast to do that mm. but anyway the um, yeah so in the same way you can you can almost look at ken and barbie as the same character if you want i don't think that's what they were going for but in a way you kind of can i love that reading of it and that's probably the most generous reading you can it's a generous it, I reading I, yeah I, but i but i enjoy what you're saying i i do like that i all right i'm gonna spit out uh i've been saving my two most smallest gripes about barbie and i'd love you guys to pick them apart yeah <laughs> so kind of on what you're describing about um ken barbie and you how we do have these two contrasts uh it just i don't know maybe this is more of a commentary on me but i walked out of that movie being like that's one of the most binary movies I've seen in a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I don't actually think it did much to help the discourse of any kind of gender fluidity. It, it, would, it very much wanted to talk about feminism in terms of this is what girls do and this is what boys mm. do. And I still find that stage of discourse quite constraining. Um, and especially for me in that there's, the fun joke kind of in early act two where it's like, we don't have genitals and that's funny. That's a good bit. <laughs> mm -hmm. But literally that yeah. turns out to be a setup for the very last beat yeah. of the movie, yeah. which is a joke that she's now a real woman because she has a vagina. Um, uh. And that's the very last taste the movie left in my mouth. And I'm kind of like, Ugh, like maybe I'm reading that bit wrong, but that that is how I read it, and I'm kind of mm. like, I don't let me, know. If let that's me jump into wanna... to that because I thought it was yeah. a bit of a crass joke as well. But but Liz, because I watched it together with my girlfriend, she had another take, and she said like, no, this that she when I said oh and they and they finished on the gynecology joke, and she was like, I didn't actually read that as a joke. She she like literally read that as like self care, like coming into womanhood, uh, in whatever sense that is, is growing up as a little girl is literally about taking care of yourself and look I, I don't mean obviously that is implied as a metaphor when it doesn't matter yeah like so that that's how she read it i yeah. i thought it was a joke at first um but i certainly would like to to i think it would be more charitable to give it that interpretation if that's the metaphor that's a great metaphor i just mm. wish they weren't using vaginas as the metaphor for mm. <laughs> women looking after themselves again that that just feels really confining as a message and just for that to be the very final beat of the movie almost undermined anything else the movie was trying to say to me the entire time i, I guess my walk a binary message yeah yeah okay. and i i guess my walk away from it is if i wanted to take my nine-year-old sister or any nine-year-old kid honestly and be like here get the speed run on feminism. I'll take them to see Barbie. It's like, cool, you just want to get up to speed mm. with all the, we're talking about patriarchy, we're talking about feminism, go watch Barbie, great, you're up to speed. And for me, that's what the movie does really well. Mm. I had set my hopes, like I was really hyped for Barbie. No one was more excited for this movie than me. I, I went in with a very generous spirit 
And I had hoped that maybe it was going to be a bit more intellectual than what it was. For me, it was a, a summary of the current discourse, if not maybe the discourse 10 years ago. Um, mm. I feel like I was watching media with the same message about 10 years ago. Mm. Um, so it's a good, quick, fun, well-packaged summary, gentle package, as you described, Matan. It, it makes me wonder maybe even if this movie's more for men than it is for women. Yeah. Mm. Um, but for mm. me, it didn't actually add anything new to feminist discourse. Did it have to? Did it need to? I guess not, but it it was still really fun. <laughs> that's that's what it felt like to me was like, um, and to me it kind of felt actually I left the, this was a, an assumption on my own. I kind of left going, and now we're all ready to move on into new discourse yeah, because yeah. it felt like it felt like a summary. And that's where it felt important mm, to me. It was mm-hmm. like, okay, we've summarized it was to me it was like society kind of lurching forward together because it's like we've been having this yeah. conversation for a while and mm-hmm. then this was like a we're going to use this barbie vehicle to just kind of this is where we are right everyone yes okay yeah. now let's it's move a forward roll, it's a roll call like, yeah are we all <laughs> we, we all here now yeah yes it's okay. like a save point a yeah. checkpoint yeah, exactly. for society like this is where That's, we are save save game Yes, that it felt like a save point because I it didn't add anything new. Yeah. yeah, and I left just like, all right, we all need to officially state that for the record. Like we're here. <laughs> like this is. We're all yes. nodding. We're all good. Great. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the movie um, says to the whole world. And that's actually my favorite scene in the Barbie movie was the scene where it was just the no music dry, just the full rant of like everything, the the contradiction of what it meant to be um, a female or like a, a woman in this society. And like, um, just because it was such a cathartic, well summarized thing. And I was just like, nice, you're mm. correct. And then... It was just satisfying in that way for me. So that's that's why I, I, yeah. I, snapped. I snapped after it. I was like, yeah. That, was so <laughs> that felt landed that. Yeah. To be fair, I feel like Florence Pugh had the same version of that speech in Little Women, and I probably preferred the lim- Little uh, Women version of the same speech. So I Greta's know. obviously got her one speech mm. that I probably, if you watch the movies back to back, they happen at the same time in the movie as well. I'd be uh, interested fair. to dissect that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah right. Wow. We should, you know, that would be a cool thing, like to have ten monitors and put all of the directors' movies uh, on at the right same next time. to each other, wow. okay. and see like how many beats, like how many times at the fifty-eight <laughs> mark does the villain, you know, gain the upper hand? Just like yeah. Like, let's put Inception, segue Interstellar. Yeah. For an Oppenheimer point, I wanted to bring up. So, are we ready? <laughs> if, if we've got enough yes. Barbie out of a system, oh, really so quick. talking about. I just wanted to say also my favorite part in Oppenheimer was also the speech where he, um, Uh, well, the speech afterwards, the moment where it goes silent and he's just speaking Mm. to the vacuum of the silence. I like, I felt that so much. I was like, oh my gosh, the, the artistic decisions of this scene, like, oh, this whole scene Mm. is just like a meaty movie and it's like on its own. It's amazing. Mm. All right. Proceed. So this is less of a comment on Oppenheimer, but I'm going to tell a little bit of a fun fact story that mm. I don't know if you guys know it or if the people at home listening, but I have a feeling this will be new information. So I'm just going to read out Nolan's body of work just as a 
fresher just so everyone can kind of oh yeah those are the movies he's made so there's Inception there's The Dark Knight there's Memento there's Dunkirk The Prestige Interstellar Tenant so just Mm. remember yeah okay that's the stuff that's what he usually makes and he's got a bit of a reputation Correct me if you guys disagree, but he he's like a filmmaker's filmmaker. He that's his reputation as a, as a director. He's not necessarily known as an auteur with like a message, right? He's just he comes in, he makes like excellent blockbusters. Yeah, but they're not necessarily movies that come in and are beating a drum about a certain message or anything. Um. So, and we probably also know that. So Christopher Nolan. Do you guys know his brother, uh, Jonathan Nolan? Jonathan? Oh, brother, yeah. Right? Yep, there you go. Yeah. Yep, so you all know that Jonathan Nolan primarily works as a scriptwriter, mostly on Christopher's stuff. I think he did Westworld um, as some credits outside of Chris, but he doesn't have too many um, credits outside of Chris. They primarily work together. Now, my fun fact is, did you guys know that there is a third Nolan brother? Ooh. What? Oh Okay, new information. He is, is that is that Killian Murphy? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a twist? Oh, but I want to say yes. Okay, put a pin in that. Wait, <laughs> I'm going to bring it back at the end. Okay, there is a third Nolan brother. Matthew Nolan. He is the eldest brother. No, he does not work in film at all. What? Um, so he has a bit of a spotted history in that he is wanted by the FBI. But what? the FBI oh. don't have enough in like evidence to get anything to stick to him, and they can't get him extradited from Costa Rica, where okay. he currently lives. Um, and what is he wanted for? No joke, being a hitman, a paid hire for murder is wow. what he's a This can be real. Of. Okay. Is this real? <laughs> what? It, it, this is real. So this but he's is so man... famous. How do we not talk about this all the time every I day? I know, right? Just, but I've got more facts. Here we go. <laughs> so he's suspected of being a hired killer. America can't get a hold of him. The investigation's like open but murky in Costa Rica. They won't hand him over to American authorities. Okay. Um, and he did some prison time when he was initially kind of arrested and suspected in Costa Rica. And then he attempted a prison escape. Oh my God. And there's some incredible details of he was caught with a razor, a harness, a metal clip for unpicking handcuffs, and a makeshift rope he had made of bed sheets oh my God. Wow. <laughs> to escape the prison. But then he had to serve time for he got caught after his prison escape, but then he served that and then he was released. Wow. Um, so this is wow. an exciting, bizarre figure. And I want you to think back through now all of Nolan's body of work, which is kind of about, you know, criminals outside of the law, getting separated from their family, can't really reconnect with their family, and just kind of having to operate by their own rules outside of society. Um, (laughs) Guys, hear me out. Hold on, on, Matana. Hold on. Let let her finish. Here we go. One (laughs) final fact. When he was operating during the suspected murder, the false name he was working under was Matthew Oppenheimer. Oh my God! <laughs> and there, Jesus and Christ, and boom, 
there it wow. is. Wow. So if you wanted to piece together why Christopher Nolan wanted to do an Oppenheimer biopic. <laughs> what the? Is it a message? Oh. Is he trying to send a message? Do we? Come home. Yeah. Take yeah. down the sheets. the sheets back in. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> wait, so when you what said he's his brother Killian no... Murphy, I'm like, wait for it. <laughs> yes. Mm. What if there is no Matthew? Uh, what if it's Christopher? Oh, okay, hear me out. Do you guys know the movie The Other Boylan Girl? No. Uh, no. The Boleyn Girl. Oh, right. Oh, the yep, Other yep. Boleyn Girl. I'm sorry, Boleyn. The Other Boleyn Girl. The Other Nolan. That's a movie that's going to get... Nolan. Well, that's hey, what I was going to say. Sure. It, Matthew the is third Nolan. In... Matthew is in the movie business. He makes the stories. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then his, yeah. brother, his youngest brother... And then Jonathan writes him. And he brother. lives yeah. them. <laughs> They made it. They had a meeting when they were very young, and they're like, "One of us, we're we're beating around the bush. One of us is going to have a very difficult job." And then Matthew, and then Matthew stepped up. <laughs> they rolled for it. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. It's fascinating, isn't it? That's so now you kind of have to look at Nolan and be like, "Wow, he actually does have an axe to grind." That's what he's all these movies are about. Wow, insane. That's so crazy. This course derailed. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but no, that was good. I, I have um, I have a fun game for us. It's a pseudo game. It's actually just a mental exercise. So the, when I was initially when I saw Oppenheimer last night, afterwards I was thinking I was just trying to like try to find. I was just holding both movies in my mind at once. I'm just seeing what kind of happened. And I was just thinking like obviously, like these were two stories. They were told the way they were told because they were cho- It was chosen that they, you know the people that told the stories decide to tell them that way, but they're not inherently supposed to be told any particular way. The only thing that like is solid about them is that there is a story that happened. And then as writers, as filmmakers, you have a certain toolbox and you decide what tools you want to use to get that story across. But there's nothing stopping Barbie being told in the same format that Oppenheimer was told, not as a comedy, and instead with a fully different tone and all that as well as you could tell Oppenheimer in the same format as Barbie if you wanted to you can make it a comedy you can make it bright colorful you could do whatever you want you could tell the same story that way so I thought it'd be a fun (laughs) exercise to see really feel it really think into it do you think you could tell effectively one story in the other's format and thinking on that do you think one would work better than the other in the other's format i can start personally i think i think oppenheimer could be a comedy if you wanted it to be and i think that yes. that's the one that i think would work best barbie and the other that's I don't my think instinct would work as much. Yeah. yep as you're talking i'm like i can see oppenheimer being told with the same color palette same tone i mean there was a lot of comedy like think of like um uh Oh my God, I can't think of it. Dr. Strangelove. Like mm-hmm. that era of uh, dark comedy, but really dry comedy, mm-hmm. assessing what were these politicians and what was the military doing at this time to do something just so world changing and they were using comedy as the tool to grapple with that and how mm-hmm. absurd that was so 100 percent. i can see 
absurd dry humour being used to tell the same Oppenheimer message. I'm there. And I'm even mm. picturing the same set special effects that Greta used where it's like the matte paintings of Barbie. Like, you know, this the montage where uh, they're on the boat and they're in the spaceship, yeah. but mm -hmm. that's just oh, no. a bomb you drop on Japan. Like, it, <laughs> yeah, it's there. I can yeah. see it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, look, it would be so insensitive to do Oppenheimer with a bunch of... Uh, pink happy colors you know and you know half of japan is burning oh, but uh yeah. but that would be very japanese really ironically. <laughs> um with that being said let me be the barbie's advocate here and just imagine barbie mm -hmm. a dark grim Zack snyder is the director <laughs> dystopia she discovers that she's a toy but more than that her spurned lover is going to take away everything that she loved but it's just probably going to end up with her beheading Ken rather than, you know, talking oh, sense Oh, now into Tarantino. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. oh, kill Ken. Whoa, kill Ken gosh. instead of kill Bill. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's not Oppenheimer. We need to well, do you, Oppenheimer. No, true. You'd have to get the time stuff into it. So it would have to start something like Barbie, like in the real world going through a thing and then she sees a little girl playing with a barbie doll and she's like <gasps> and takes her back to the thing you'd have to jump around a lot like that. Uh, i can see yeah. that i i can like, see yeah. that some i like that totally totally maybe hard. it starts I don't know. it starts with barbie in the in the conference room and they're like questioning her so like yeah where's ken yeah, yeah, what did exactly. you do to him okay no yeah. you tell it as a box. tragedy okay so swap out the metaphor of the bomb for patriarchy being introduced <laughs> to her world and destroying her world so she okay. has to grapple with the role okay. she played mm. in she had destroying it, yeah. barbie land with patriarchy the, yeah the mother of of oversized mojo dojo babies yeah yeah <laughs> she's yeah I, I i'm i'm going to see barbie i'm going to see the new barbie yeah <laughs> by christopher <laughs> nolan <laughs> Is Zack Snyder, but okay. Yeah, written by Zack Snyder, exactly. Release the Nolan version. Did you hear that little dig they got in about Zack Snyder? I loved it. I loved it. You have to Warner Brothers is still dirty. They can't let it go. They'll never let it go. Oh, I've seen some reviews of people like yeah, just reviewing the Barbie movie and like just it's it was a thing on TikTok and it's got all one stars and be like, this is terrible. This is like baby's first feminism, patriarchy, remember? Like, um, but then Every single one of them, like, because it's done on Letterboxd, every single one of them's like top film is The Godfather. It's so funny just watching <laughs> every single one. Like, it does, it does like 10 different people. They're all like half star reviews, and every single one of their favorite movie is The Godfather. <laughs> oh so my funny. gosh. Wow. Fury. Oh, amazing. You, you can appreciate both. I don't think yeah, I know. Godfather's a great movie. There's nothing sure. wrong it's with just, it. It's just very film bro-y, you know? Like it's it's fine. Yeah. It's a great movie. For, like, you know, and like The Godfather? Yeah. It's Yeah, it's yeah, fun. yeah. And then pr the prestige is in there and like It's not a it's not a great place. movie, Alex. It's not a great movie. It is What? The Godfather? It is the movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, a lot of people argue Godfather 2. Not me, but No, me. no, Godfather 1 kills it. it oh, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. It has a plot. Yeah. <laughs> I I actually left Barbie thinking, I gotta watch Godfather. I've never I've never seen it. So <laughs> should. Should. I, good. Like, I gotta watch this. But anyway, I think uh, I think we've I think we've fully Barbenheimed. So oh, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna close yeah. it down. And now uh, we need to find a quote. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> okay, I got a quote. I'm making this one up. It's a collaboration quote between me and popular culture. Um, and it reads, I'm a Barbie girl. 
destroyer of worlds. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Um, as you know, we uh, are always trying to find uh, more people, you know, to listen to what we're what we're doing. That's what a podcast basically is. It's like, hey, we're doing some stuff. You can uh, listen to it, find it. Um, sorry, I got a splitting migraine coming in. Um, so, you look, we'd really appreciate if you could uh, leave a review for us on uh, your respective podcast platform. Uh, it just really helps us get some eyeballs on there and, and, you know, get some more people to come and check out what we do, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How else are they going to learn about the third Nolan brother? Exactly. Yeah. There's a third Nolan brother? <laughs> That's amazing. Also, we do have a, an anthology out now that you can purchase if you'd like to, you know, you've heard us talk about stories and you're like, well, who are these people? What what stories can they tell? Well, check out the new Mythic. It's available on Amazon. And if you have trouble finding it, just go to precipicefiction.com. We have buttons there for you to click that'll take you where you need to go. Um, and you can check out the stories that we ourselves tell. Um we're available in other places too, doing other things. We all have our own stories, our own things going on in other places. You could find that information on precipicefiction.com as well. But yeah, check it out. Thanks for listening. It's been great. It's been real. It's been Barman. It's been Barbenheim. And with that, we're, we're going to leave now. See you later. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>
who was originally <laughs> supposed to do the movie in 2015, then yes, absolutely, that would have been a shitty joke. But because it's Greta Gerwig, I've seen Lady Bird, I've cried, Little Woman, all that. I'm pretty sure she took like the higher road on that. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Mic drop. Thank we'll you. We have a post credit scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Liz. Oh my god. That was All right, fantastic. I'm gonna <laughs>